Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It was a steamy August night in Hampton County, but they were flying, buzzing, high on drugs and on a dark quest. The two men were looking to score some more pain pills, then head out to the country to cook a batch of crystal meth. They knew the cops were watching the house inside town limits, so they needed to get in and out quick. In fact, the Hampton Police Department had been watching David Carson and his associates for months. It was only a matter of time. Then, an officer spotted a broken tail signal. Blue lights followed, a tap on the window, a suspended license, then more cops, handcuffs, a taped-off crime scene, nosy people stopping and gawking, then state law enforcement agents in hazmat suits arrived. When Hampton police made the stop at night in the parking lot of the Hampton Pizza Hut, Right in the heart of town, they found all the volatile components for making meth. A mobile meth lab right inside that 1997 Honda. The restaurant was evacuated. The area sealed off and special cleanup teams from the South Carolina State Law Enforcement Division and the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency were called to the restaurant and to Carson's home where more meth making materials were found. Word of the drug bust and concern spread like a brush fire throughout the community. It was the first ever reported meth bust in the little town of Hampton, South Carolina, reported the local paper on August 28, 2014. The world's most dangerous drug had officially arrived in this quiet part of the South Carolina low country, local police told the Hampton County Guardian. It was one of the worst moments in David Carson's life, but it would not be the end of his criminal career it would be the beginning to a road of redemption and his amazing life story. Hello, friend. That voice you heard there is of Michael C. DeWitt Jr. Michael writes for the USA Today network of newspapers. He's the author of Wicked Hampton County and the fall of the House of Murdoch. I am Matt Harris. 
Seton Tucker is here with me. We also co-host the Impact of Influence podcast. And today it is a, a starting, the story starts in a, a terrible way, but it ends in an opportunity for us all to realize that people can change and to give us all hope in life. Uh, and I really am looking forward to hearing from our guest. Michael, why don't you uh, introduce the guest to us? I'm proud to introduce you to uh, David Carson. He uh, lived in Hampton County for a time, and he is one of the few people who have truly inspired me. In 20 years working for the, the newspapers, the Hampton County Guardian, I thought I'd seen and heard it all. I thought I knew what to expect. Once someone in our town went down a bad road with drugs or crime, my previous experience pretty much showed me there was, you know, no turning back. There was usually no saving these people. If I wrote about their drug arrest, it was only a matter of time before I published their obituaries. But today, yes, David Carson was one of the few exceptions, an expiring exception. David, welcome to the Wicked South podcast. Thank you all for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming, David. Um, Let's kind of get into uh, your early life and how you began these troubles with uh, drugs. Uh, did it start in your teen years? It did. I, um, I probably started uh, experimenting with like marijuana and alcohol at the age of like 13, 14. And um, at the time it wasn't that bad. I, I played sports and things like that. Just a, lived a normal, I guess what I thought was normal teenage life. But, uh, it gradually got worse and worse. And by my 11th grade year in school, uh, high school, I was experimenting with harder drugs like uh, cocaine and um, things like that. Were the people around you aware of how much experimenting you were doing? Uh, not really. Not at first. Uh, my, my parents, uh, they didn't... I think they had an idea that I, I may have been, but uh, not really. I was able to hide it for the most part. And at the age of 19, I had a daughter, and um, I thought I had it under control in my drug use and, and drinking and stuff until uh, the age of 19 when I had my daughter, Arizona, and I tried to quit. All right, I'm going to quit, and I'm going to be a dad, and I couldn't. Um, at this time, at it had a, a hold on me and addiction had really grabbed a hold of me. And I, I just, one day I just up and left her and her mom at home and, and I never looked back. I mean, it's, it was a very poor choice. Uh, probably one of the worst choices I ever made, but the realization of it is that I was at the time I was wanting to get high more than I would was wanting to be a family man. It, mm. it done took control of me by then. So well, now, was this something uh, your friends were doing and yours just kind of escalated? I'm just wondering. I'm a parent of teens, so it's, yeah, it's a yeah, scary that's time. That's what it was. I have people now, I tell people all the time, you uh, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You know, for the most part, most of my friends around the age of 12 or 13, 14, maybe those friends that uh, I was doing this stuff with, they kind of stopped partying as hard as I could and I started hanging out with another group of friends that uh that did party like I did and um yeah it was it's got a lot to do with the crowd that you hang it's out amazing with. how easy you can find the kind the people to do drugs with right it, it, it's 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 amazing you could just bounce from one friend group to the other 
but it's easy for people I know who've been addicts and that sort of thing. They'll find you or you'll find them, right? Of course. Yeah. 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 Um, now, if I'm, I'm looking back at the article that we wrote, I actually wrote a couple of articles about you. One was detailing the drug bust, and then one was your um, powerful story of, of redemption. Uh, but something happened in your mid-20s. Weren't you in an accident or something, and you started having to take uh, pain pills for your injuries, and did that kind of make things worse? Kind of, so, kind of walk us through this spiraling, downhill spiral into drug addiction. Yeah, so when I mentioned when I was 19, I walked away from my family. And uh, I thought addiction was bad then until I got in a car wreck uh, and I got prescribed opiates for the first time, pain oh, pills. And um, anything I got my hands on, I would abuse. So, of course, I started abusing the pain pills. And then I started going to different doctors and uh, getting them to prescribe me because I've gotten in a pretty bad car accident. And then um, one day, I went to get my prescription filled and they said, you're not allowed to get any more prescription filled because they integrated the computer systems where they would know if I was doctor shopping or not. Mm -hmm. So they cut me completely off. And that's when I went to the streets to get my drug, the, the opiates. What what years were those? Was that 90s, 2000s? What was this? That would be in the early 2000s. Early 2000s, yeah. yeah I think I that's probably, happened to a lot of people though where you know they were legally prescribed and then it they got shut down and doctors started becoming aware of this problem and you know then they had to take to the streets to get drugs right. instead of being yeah, able to get them in a pharmacy and the opiate addiction the cocaine and alcohol at the time was more of a, a mind thing for me when i got addicted to opiates it was a whole different ball game i had to have them i couldn't function but was, you were, you were doing other drugs prior to that, oh, though, wasn't it? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But the opiates, <laughs> I thought it was bad before, but once I started doing opiates, it was it got really bad. Like, How hard was it for you to find the drugs you needed? I went too hard in Hampton <laughs> yeah. to find the drugs that I needed. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, like the, yeah. so, like, maybe the people who were dealing whatever it was you were doing before, Coke or something, when they would find... Uh, somebody else to get you whatever it was you needed. It would work that yeah, kind of we way. Would, I mean, yeah, a lot, at the time, the pain pills was an epi- starting to be an epidemic, and everybody That's had a, them. And, gotcha. You know, <laughs> yeah. This is a now. This is a crazy, maybe a weird question. Did you have mechanical skills or something? Like, how did you pull off making a meth lab in your Honda? Was that your Honda? <laughs> no, it was a, a friend of mine's Honda that was in prison for. <laughs> doing the same thing oh he was in pre so you got it pre-made meth lab honda <laughs> no 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 his wife had the car at my house and i just jumped in it to use it but uh we, we think we of the break actually, it bad van we think of the van yeah, it, now, the honda seems to look a small uh, a, a small car to work area be, uh, working yeah, this it was it wasn't uh actually making the meth inside the car we just had the components to manufacture it when we got pulled over oh okay, okay. i was thinking of the breaking bad so was van I, yeah 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 um so- what it is is the police when they see these components because there is a potential for like an explosive hazard or something mm-hmm. like that um if you have the components they treat the whole thing like it's a meth lab so they yeah you know, maybe it's a overreaction. Maybe it's, it's just a, a good safety precaution. But they actually shut down that whole block of Hampton and had it roped off. They had people in hazmat suits. They treated it just like it was a meth lab, but you know, obviously it wasn't. 
That happened in our Walmart parking lot probably five years ago. Really? Yeah, there, but there was a van. I don't know if they just had the components or not, but the same thing. Were you actually making meth, though, or were you just selling meth? No, I was making it. Yeah. Did, did you have any background in chemistry or anything? I mean, it's not like you can pull uh, go to the library and how to make meth. Somebody teach you, or was there a, something on somebody, the web? Or Somebody taught me how to do it. It's yeah. dangerous, though, right? Because yeah, it's... It is. It is. Yeah, you got to be very careful. If you don't know what you're doing, you it, it explode or it'll burn you. Yeah, Jesus. pretty dangerous. So you're in your in the Honda. The lights go on. You see the the cop lights. The police are there. Are you high so it doesn't even bother you? Are you scared? What's your reaction? I'd been out of it. I'd been up for days and um. When he was talking about it a while ago, reading about it, it just brought up memories and anxiety. It was just a, it was a very bad day. I'd been up for days. Uh, at the moment, I was like, uh, maybe how am I going to get out of this? And then when I got to jail, they, the charges that I was received was some, uh, I remember one of the jailers in the jailhouse, like they told me, like they knew me from being in and out of there. They was like, you're done at this time. You're in trouble, like big trouble. Jeez. And lack of sleep, you're in a bad place anyway. Yeah. I know you said you were prescribed these opioids and you were doing that. How did it switch from opioids to meth? Uh, I'd lost a daughter. And um, to, to be honest with you, I tried meth probably five years before that. And it scared me so bad that I didn't do it for a long, long time. And then I uh, got introduced to it again. And I just lost a child. And I'd just give up. Like, I didn't really care no more, and um, and once I was taught how to do it, it it just took took over, you know. You um, lost your. How old were you? And you lost your daughter. I think I was probably uh, twenty eight or twenty nine. It was right before I got busted. Your wife or girlfriend was pregnant with your child. Did yes. you stop at all during the pregnancy so, time? I did, uh, and she did too. Like I got on Suboxone to try to get off the pain medicine, and um, I tried to straighten up. And Suboxone, that's not being clean. All that did was prolong my addiction. But uh, for the most part, I did try. And once we lost the baby, I was. Uh, that's when I started questioning God a lot, and I just I'd given up. After I went to, uh, I got locked up for the manufacturing and stuff. I. I really thought I was going to prison. Um, I stayed in jail probably five or six months. I was trying to wiggle out of getting in trouble. So I told my family that I needed to go to rehab and to get a, a paid attorney. So uh, that's when I talked my mom into posting, a. I think it was like $175,000 bail. Mm. She put the house up to get me out of jail. Wow. And I uh, went to rehab in Sumter. I knew I was in some trouble, so I was told that the best attorney to, to get would be Corey Fleming out of Beaufort. Um, wow. I got him. I retained him, and the, he prolonged the court for probably a year, a year and a half, and he called me one day and told me to be at the courthouse, and they offered me probation. For that year and a half, were you out on bail, or were you still in jail? I was out on, I was out on bail. In rehab. Well, let me ask you about uh, that conversation with your mother. Because I'm assuming okay. the relationship was a little fractured at this point due to you being yes. in and out of jail and yes. um, 
So you have to go back to her. Was it hard for you or as being an addict, it was easy to lie or say whatever you needed to do to get the money? What was the, what was the emotion involved in that call? Well, I just told her to like the truth. If I was, if I was going up in front of a judge with the charges that I had, I was going to go to prison. I needed to get in rehab and I needed to get a, a paid attorney that was good at what he done to get me out of trouble. Or either I was going to prison for, for quite a while. And did she say immediately yes, or did she say? No, that was a lot of begging and 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 things like that over the phone. Like I'd been put, I'd been in in and out of jail most of my uh, life, <laughs> you know, just for smaller stuff like stealing or child support or, and stuff like that. And uh, they finally gave in and 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 was able to get me out of jail. And I went to rehab and then uh, got a paid lawyer. And got out of it, got a year of probation. I'd like to say that uh, my story ended there with drugs and alcohol, but I got out of the trouble and uh, moved up to Greenville and uh, thought I could start drinking again and not using drugs. And uh, within a couple of weeks, I was homeless again up here in the streets of Greenville. Uh, and I done start. I couldn't. The opiates had turned into heroin and fentanyl, and oh that's what gosh. I was doing. You're lucky to be alive. I am. I am. And uh, that lasted for quite a while. Um, and then I ended up getting locked up up here again in Greenville. And uh, and I knew right then I'd overdosed two or three times a couple of weeks Jesus. before I got went to j- jail. And I was in a parking lot at uh, QT on Woodruff Road up here in Greenville. And I just cried out to God, like, please help me. I'm going to die. And like the next day or two, I got, I got arrested and, um, and I knew it was life or death that I was going to die. And, and I never used again from that day. I stayed, I stayed in jail for quite a while, um, got probation and heard about Miracle Hill Overcomers. And that's where that part of my life began. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I, I want to know, I want to go back just a little bit. So you just talked about this moment when you, and you never drank again in that time that you got out of rehab, were you communicating with your mom who, and who you know, had given you this money to get on a bail and put you in rehab or did that cease after you got out of rehab? Uh, the first time. Yeah. Yeah. When I got out of rehab and I ended up in the streets of Greenville, they, they quit all that enabling and stuff like that. They completely cut me off. I was up here alone, homeless. Right. Um, yeah, it was terrible. Do you think uh, maybe the first time you went to rehab was just to get out of trouble, and maybe that's why why it wasn't successful that first go round? It, it was, and I um, and addictions like cunning and baffling. Like I thought that I maybe wanted to get clean, but I wasn't ready to surrender every part of my life to to God. You know what I mean? I I, I had uh, thoughts in the back of my head that I may use again. I wasn't all in. No, I wasn't. Most of it was to get out of trouble. I knew I knew that if I got in rehab and got Corey as a lawyer, that I could get out of it. That's the reason I went. So let's bring us back to the the, the, the moment when you, you never drank again. 
You were arrested for what, and how did you find the the rehab that put an end to that side of your work life? So I'd, I'd been, uh, I'd, I'd had gotten in trouble for a stole car. I had a warrant for that. Uh, a couple other things, breaking and entering, and um, I got pulled over that day. And I ended up going to jail, and I knew that I was going to die if I didn't get clean. God, God had, like, revealed that to me. I knew I was going to die. And uh, I went to uh, Greenville County Jail, and they told me about this real strict program called Overcomers. It's a faith-based, all about Jesus and recovery. And they said, you don't want to go there. That's like Jesus' jail or something. And I Jesus said, no, that's where I, that's where I need to go. And um, I, they was like, you crazy to want to go there. And the judge, I was I signed a plea to go to prison for a year. And usually when you sign a plea, you usually go to prison. So I, I signed a plea, and the judge was like, tell me about yourself. I was like, I'm a homeless meth and heroin addict. And if I go to prison, would you please sentence me to overcomers when I get back? And he's like, you're serious? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, well, uh, you're not going to prison today. You're going to overcomers. So oh, hmm. That's so cool. Like that, yeah, that it, judge it really took is. mercy and knew that that was the right thing to do for you. But, yes. So yes. you walk into overcomers and you have a pretty good attitude about it because you really think this is it. Yes. However, that doesn't mean it's easy. No, it was hard. Like uh, seven months of inpatient rehab is tough. It's tough, but it's a lot easier if you if you really want it. And I did. I was all in. I'd had enough. I really did. And how did you pay for it? Because I know, I mean, we have people in our family who've, I mean, personally, this issue is near and dear to my heart, but going to rehab is very ex- expensive. How uh, did Was that a state-funded program? No, it's all run off of donations. Oh, oh wow. Wow. Yeah, it don't cost a dime. I think the intake fee is like one hundred and fifty dollars, but if you don't have that, they they uh, they don't charge you, and it's top notch. It's uh, you wouldn't believe it. If you had to pay, somebody had to pay it. Be three hundred thousand dollars to go there. So nice. <laughs> and having someone go for seven months, I think that's that's really key because yeah, you know, and, that, and, it's a long period of time. Yeah, when you get out, they got transition houses. They uh, they want you to stay in for six months. You pay like a hundred twenty five dollars a week, but you're in a really nice home and you uh, get a job and start living life and learning responsibilities. That was very important for me. Was that part also? While you're in overcomers, so you go in there, you hear all these stories from all these other people, patients that are there. Did those stories? make you feel like you weren't alone you dodged a bullet your story wasn't special like what was how did it relate when you started talking to these other people it, they, it just gave me hope because a lot of them was further along than i have and then the guys that have graduated uh or been there they'll come back and give their testimonies and I, it just gave me hope being around those those type guys now you get out and you go to the i think you referred to is it a halfway house or, or, or some transition house Yes, and I was uh, I I stay I signed on to stay another additional six months to be like a transition coordinator. I was kind of the ministry trainee oh. over cool. over. So I, I stayed there. Um, I actually stayed in transition almost two years until the day I got married. <laughs> well, now how is is it hard to find a job uh, coming out of this program, or do they work with employers to help you no, they, find something? They work with. They work with employers. It's not hard at all to find work or anything like that. Was it difficult to 
call your mom again after you went through this and for her to believe you? I've told them all my life, Otis, I'm going to change and I'm going to do this and I'll do that. I just, uh, I was at the stage where I'm not telling them that anymore. I'm going to show, try to show them and let, you know what I mean? Let that be on them. <laughs> you had lost your credibility with them. I'm, I'm Oh, gonna... I've been lost out. <laughs> yeah. David, so you're, you've completed the overcomers program, but you're still not done with this miracle road to redemption is why I've been kind of thinking about it in my head. Um, you, you know, you, you go out, you, you get married, you, 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 uh, have a great career. I think you own your own business now, or you run a business. All I want right. to hear about Sammy's mission. That's the uh, uh, final piece, isn't it? Yeah. So when I was a ministry trainee, a lot of re- that transition part is very important. If you get a guy that's getting out of rehab and he don't have transition to go to, he's got some, a lot of us will have to go back to the toxic environment we fought so hard to get out of. And a lot of rehabs don't have that. Miracle Hill did. Um, I wrote my a letter to my aunt while I was in jail. I started reading the Bible then in jail. Uh, I got introduced to the gospel and I could feel like God really tugging on my heart. And I wrote my aunt a letter and I was like, God's letter, letter put it on my heart to help addicts using his word. And I still got the letter. And uh, I don't know, God, I always wanted to help and God delayed it on my heart. So uh, I, I'd finished, I'd gotten married, I moved in with my wife and I told my wife what I'd like to do one day. And I had a career, uh, it was like a project manager out at BMW for a, a contractor out there. And uh, she was like, I'm tired of hearing you talk about it. Let's do it. So we <laughs> filed for a 501c3, started saving a little money. Um, we named it Sammy's Mission after a friend of mine that passed away while I was in Overcomers. And I, he was in active addiction. And uh, one thing led to another. Like, God started moving. We opened one house, and it just kept growing. And now we have six transition houses. Wow. Yeah. You find the houses and you set them up to be a transition home. Yeah, we uh we just purchased our first one uh wow. but we rent we leased the other five. Yeah. And it's kind of run off of the like the ones at Miracle Hill and we help find them jobs, get them to church, get them to meetings. Each house has a, a ministry vehicle and uh we just share the, the good news of Christ with them and, and, and recovery. And that's what we do. And I believe it's Sammy's mission.org yep okay s-a-m-m-y-s mission.org uh please go check that out donate if you feel the need and uh it's been an incredible story yeah you're an inspiration really i mean i've I've, anybody who can go through what you have and come out the other side a better person is really an inspiration to everybody especially with this horrible epidemic in our country that we're suffering now yeah, it's just like giving back what's been freely given to me, hope. Like, my wife heads up, the, like, the administrative stuff. She actually does, it's been incredible what she does with Sammy's Mission. And I started a tree business, and it's kind of grown. And, uh, like, God's, like, really, I've told Michael that before, like, God really knocked my socks off. When he, when knocked he, your socks off. <laughs> that's, that, that's the way to say it. Yeah. yeah. David, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the podcast. Do appreciate it. Continued best of luck and keep on helping. All right. Thank y'all. Thanks, David. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Michael. Hey, before you go, um, I just wanted to thank you again. Uh, You know, your story, it it wasn't just that you 
changed your own path. Um, was it that you went to rehab and you turned your life around? What really inspired me is that you started helping others. And I've never seen that in 20 years of covering crime and, and local people here in Hampton County. I've never uh, seen. I have one story where a young addict became a, a, a past. Yeah, Bryce. Uh, Bryce, no. Um, that's right. And uh, yeah. I did a great story on him. Um, and your story has just been you know, just one of these truly inspiring things where not only have you found a way to help yourself, but you're helping others. And I even see you, I follow you on Facebook. I see every now and then somebody will say, hey, I've got a, a person here in Hampton County that needs a ride. Sammy's mission in Greenville and, and yeah. you and your people work together and you get them transportation. And, and so you're reaching from Greenville back down to Hampton County. and You're helping people that uh, here in our area, as well as in, in the upstate, and I'm yeah, we, we we get a lot of people from um, Greenville. I mean, from Hampton, we we do, and we got a few up here now. <laughs> so, yeah. Hampton County's proud of you, and I, and I and I really appreciate you sharing your story. All right, appreciate you, Michael. Thank you, bud. Thank you. All right, nice to meet y'all. Bye bye. Before we wrap, we want you to join us on our Facebook page, which is. The Wicked South. And I'm looking forward to getting comments from our last episode, uh, which was pretty spicy. I can't believe I missed the famous hoo-ha. I know. <laughs> uh, but Michael, on our Facebook page, people are have been asking a ton of questions about the best way to get your book. Well, we are uh, uploading it uh, to, it's already on Barnes & Noble, um, I think you can already get it on Amazon. They just haven't fully uploaded the cover images and all that. Um, but for right now, I think the best way is just go to eveningpostbooks.com um, and you can get a, uh, you can buy it directly from the, from the publisher in Charleston, eveningpostbooks.com. And uh, if you want a signed copy, I happen to know the author personally. If you send him a <laughs> private message, you might even be able to get you a signed copy. All right, all right. I need to get mine signed. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, <laughs> we can do it. Love it, love it. All right. Hey, everybody, thanks for hanging with us. Do appreciate it. Uh, Seton and I, you can catch us on Impact of Influence, that podcast as well. And we'll talk soon, friend. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.